It's something for nothing, the Rush Fancast. We are back for episode three, Jer, of Grace Under Pressure. Welcome. Thank you. This is the this is the third part of the trilogy, so we're gonna wrap up the storyline. Yes. This is the return of the Jedi of Grace <laughs> yeah. Under Pressure on the Rush Fancast. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are the Rushcast. Jerry puts up lots of fun photos for you to view. Email Jerry at the Rushcast at gmail.com and marvel at the base intro done by Lex. <laughs> do you marvel at it, Jerry? I do. I do marvel at it. He has a he has a nice style. Oh, he's great. He really does. His bass tone is really cool, yeah. He is the best. Lex, you are the best. So Jared, you got an email for me. I do. I have a uh, again a short one and then a slightly longer one. Okay. Let's hear the short one first. So this is from Darren. Hey Darren. He says What's up, gents? Listening to part two of Signals, and I had a thought about the analog kid when you were discussing the beginning of the guitar solo. I think that otherworldly sound may represent the protagonist's entry into a dream. Wow. Because he covered up his eyes with his ball cap, and the solo is the dream itself where our hero escapes and he just rocks out. Huh. I think about that. I think it makes sense, and I think the keyboard part, you move me, you move me, it's kind of dreamlike too right yeah yeah definitely so that makes sense yeah i responded um i wish i had thought of that (laughs) (laughs) see if darren was with us on the podcast that day it would have been great right he's sitting right here in the couch behind me he could have just piped in i love the fact that our listeners are emailing with their theories because we clearly don't know everything and our listeners have great ideas about this so we should share them and and talk about them it's great yeah Everybody has their own interpretations of songs and stuff like that. So keep those coming. Yeah, please, please. So you got a long one too? I have a longer one. It is also from Dale. If I'm not mistaken, last episode, I read one from Dale. Dale is prolific. He is. He says, again, no, no greeting, just gets right to, the, right to the, the content. He says, that's okay with me. Yeah, I'm continuing my, I'm continuing my way through the podcast and the notion of ranking Rush songs or identifying a top 10 or, four, or 20 or 40 keeps coming up. Because we've talked about that, right? How impossible it is. Yeah, we, we, do, we talk about it too much, probably. I have started a process of coming up with a systematic way to evaluate Rush songs based on a number of factors. And I have learned a few things. Number one, there are a few bad Rush songs. In fact, I would not even characterize the bottom rung as bad. I call them misfires. Because no matter what, each has some uniqueness or value to it. Number two, the vast majority of Rush songs are hard to rank. And no matter how objective one tries to be, personal taste will necessarily play a role. Accordingly, I have given up on the notion of ranking the songs in order and instead have decided to group them in categories. Misfires, okay, not quite excellent, excellent, and perfection. That makes complete sense to me because I know it's true. You can't have that ultimate classic rock list that they put out. I mean, the guy who did that, you know, God bless him, but that was hard. Yeah, it was hard. How could you possibly do that? Yeah. I think this is a good way to, to break it down. Yeah. Either it's great. It's pretty good. It's just okay. Or it's a misfire. Right. And then from there, I guess you can, you can rank them better. That's maybe, maybe we should, we should employ Dale's. Whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, well, well, my my problem is that I would say, what are there, 167 Studio Rush songs, something like that? Yep. I'd probably put 100 of them in the great category. I know. And how do you, how do you pare that down? That's the thing. Forget the, the 67 that aren't great. Right. How do you pare the 100 that are great down to 10? That's my problem. Right. Maybe you have to create a different, another category, subcategories. Right, but but what do I put in the super great category? What do I leave out of that super great category? If that category can only mm. be 10, that's the problem I've got. Okay. That's why we keep putting it off because I just I just can't do it. Yeah. We'll do it one day. Yeah. Some maybe. Um and so number 3, I think it only fair to evaluate evaluate rush produced in different rush eras taking into account what they were trying to do. For example, I currently have ghost of a chance in the perfection category. It is impossible to do this. If I evaluate ghost of a chance in the same way I evaluate 
La Villa Strangiato. But if I accept that with ghost of a chance, Rush was not trying to be proggy, that the matching of the lyrics to the music is important in evaluating ghost of a chance, and that Alex Lifeson is approaching his participation in songs in a much more nuanced way, then I can evaluate a song from Roll the Bones differently than a song from Hemispheres. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. He's given this a lot of thought. As he should. Right. As all Rush fans should. But the question is, Ghost of a Chance is in his perfection category. I'm assuming La Villa Strangiato is also in his perfection category. How do you decide which one is a better song for your list? I don't know. You have to balance too, balance too many things, right? I agree. I agree. But La Villa Strangiato is in everybody's perfection <laughs> category. That much we know. That much we know. That we know for sure. Sure. So before we get into the rest of the songs on Grace Under Pressure, Jar, on Twitter, I posted a photo of Ray's ticket stub. Remember we talked to Ray a few weeks back? Of course. And he said his most prized possession was his first ticket stub? Yes. And I decided to ask our Twitter fans to post their first ticket stub. Wow. Just to see how many would do it. And we got tons of responses. It was great. Really? How many? Uh, I don't know. 20, 30, something like that. That's a lot. I think people just, just can pull out a ticket stub and post it on Twitter. Right. And two amazing things. Most of our listeners, their ticket stubs were in pristine condition, just like Ray's. Wow. I mean, not a blemish. And I posted mine and you can barely read it because <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know where I had it for the past 30 years. Weren't they just in a shoebox? They are, but it's still faded. I don't know. People must laminate them or something. I don't know. Or they put them under plastic. And the other amazing thing, I would say six different people posted their ticket stub of their first show, and it was the same show we were at. No. March 31st, 1986. Yep. Wow. At the Meadowlands Arena. Crazy, right? Yeah. Maybe we should have a reunion. <laughs> And all of them said it was a great show. We should try to find every person who was in that arena that night. Yeah, let's get all 17,000 together. Where would we meet, though? That'd be a tough thing. We'd have to meet there, of course. <laughs> Is it called the IZOD Center now still? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. We could have a, you know, why, why not play? They could, oh, they could play the set list. That'd be great. Wouldn't that be great? That would be great. I'm sure Tim Sirachi would love it. It's five minutes from his house. The other guys, <laughs> right. I don't know. Wow. That'd be awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. So one more thing, Steve. Yes. I was a guest on the Rush Roundtable. You were a guest on one of those videos before, right? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Ryan's Rush Fans Roundtable. Yeah. At Rush Fans on Instagram. We've both been on there a few times. But this time was a really interesting time. It was actually really cool. We debated... Ryan and I were on a team and we debated another team about which decade was better for the band, the seventies or the eighties. And which side did you take? Ryan and I were on the eighties side. Okay. And who, and who was the seventies? The seventies were, uh, two guys, Nick and Tim, and, uh, they put up a spirited fight. I thought they had some really good points. And who won the debate? That's the most important thing. Well, I don't know. That's up for the, uh, listeners or watchers to decide. I think it's already up on their YouTube channel. If you search YouTube for Rush fans or their Instagram in the IG video or IGTV came out Friday. Well, I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I made some good points and so did Ryan. You know, people have to make up their own minds. All right. Well, we can help them make up their own minds by listening to the rest of Grace Under Pressure, Jer. Yeah, that was great, Steve. Let's get into it. Kid Gloves.
fun fact, Steve, about kid gloves. Maybe you were going to say the same thing. I, I'm sure I was. Go ahead. That this song is what gave us the idea to do this podcast. Exactly. That is exactly what I was going to say. Okay. We went out to Colorado in June of 2019. Yep. Correct? Yep. To see Death Cab for Cutie, another of our favorite bands. Another great band, yep. Uh, we saw them at Red Rocks. Right. And and we never got to see Rush at Red Rocks, which is right. a thing I have regretted for years. Yeah. I think uh, if you're into concerts and cool concert venues, you have to make a pilgrimage Oh, to Red Rocks. Oh, it's so, so great. So great. Yes. So anyway, we flew out to Denver and before we went to the show, we decided to drive to Utah and back because we had a couple of days to kill. So we drove to Arches National Park in Utah and then drove back. And while we were driving, we were discussing the possibility of doing a podcast. Yep. And what would we do? We had no idea. No clue. And what did we start doing? We started talking about kid gloves Yep. and arguing about, I think I had no idea what kid gloves meant. Right. And you were correcting me. And <laughs> we talked, must've been for about 20 minutes about kid gloves. Right. Right. And then, <laughs> and then we had the Seinfeld moment. This is the show. Right. This is the show. This is it. This is the podcast. Right. Podcast about nothing. <laughs> And then you said, no, no, not a podcast about nothing, a podcast about Rush. Exactly. And believe it or not, here we are. What is this? 60 episodes later? Yeah. And now we're going to talk about Kid Gloves for real on our podcast. Will it be as good as the conversation we had in the car that day? That's the question. Probably not. Because <laughs> we were cursing a lot, like we always do. We just stopped to get jerky, I think. So we were <laughs> eating jerky. So anyway, Jared, tell us what kid gloves means, because I clearly have no clue. You don't remember? I don't remember what I had for breakfast. Forget what you told me. You don't remember what the kid, kid gloves were. Well, it's, it's handling something gently, correct? Right, right. The kid gloves refer to gloves made from the hide of a baby goat, a kid. Now, do people actually make gloves, or did they actually make gloves out of goat hide? Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, probably, you know baby goats, kid goats, very supple, I'm sure. And so it's, it's a way of saying that you have to handle somebody with care, you know, like you, if you're going to hold them or whatever, you need to wear kid gloves mm -hmm. or handle a situation with care. Right. Some like people might be too delicate. It's a delicate situation or someone's whatever, whatever, whatever. So that's what it's about. Okay. So the, the song itself, I mean, I just love the way it begins with that syncopated kind of guitar. It's just a different very different way for a Rush song to begin. Yeah. And the bells. The bells come in, yeah. I don't know what kind of bells those are, but, you know, Neil's percussion arsenal is so vast. <laughs> I mean, he just pulls out these bells and they sound perfect. They do. They do. Now, overall, I think that this song is about bullies, right? Is that what we talked about that time? Again, I don't remember what we talked about 18 months ago. So I could say anything. You can say anything and it would, it would totally sound like what you said 18 months ago. So right. please. I just always took this song to be about bullies and I could never square the handle with kid gloves, handle with kid gloves line with bullies. Hmm. So I don't know. I really don't know what I was thinking about this song. I wish I could remember exactly what we talked about because I've never been able to, to get those two parts of this song to fit together. Well, I think it might be about gaining maturity in life. I take the beginning of the song as perhaps, like you said, it's a bully, but then he grows up and realizes that he has to handle situations differently because he's an adult. Let's go through the lyrics and see if, okay, we, yeah. see if we can figure it out. Sure. A world of difference, a world so out of touch, overwhelmed by everything, but wanting more so much. Isn't that kind of an adolescent view? It is an adolescent view, yeah. But it seems like this person, you know, is struggling, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pent-up emotion, right? He's overwhelmed by everything, but wanting more so much. So he does. He's not getting what he what he needs or wants. And I think that's the that's the root of of bullies, right? Right. Take it out on someone else. Take it out on someone else. Yeah. Call it blind frustration. Call it blind man's bluff. Call each other names. Your voice is rude. Your voice is rough. Then you learn the lesson. 
that it's cool to be so tough. That's true, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, you get positive affirmation from a lot of people from from being a bully, right. from beating people up. You're the cool guy. Mm-hmm. You're the cool guy stealing someone's lunch money. Mm-hmm. That's even a thing anymore. But then we get to handle with kid gloves, handle with kid gloves. Then you learn the lessons taught in school won't be enough. Taught by who? Right. This is, this is where the song, like I think those, the first two stanzas are definitely about a bully, but I'm not so sure if it handle with kid gloves, are you handling the bully with the kid gloves? That seems like a, a, a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I mean, I, I interpret the line, then you learn the lessons taught in school won't be enough is not an actual lesson that you are taught in school. It's the fact that the bully in high school is the kingpin. And now when he gets out into the real world, he's not the kingpin anymore. He realizes that the lesson he learned in school, that it's cool to be tough, doesn't work when you get out of school. Or is this from a different kid's perspective? That you have to handle the bully with kid gloves? Could be. And then you learn the lessons taught in school won't be enough. Because then it says, put on your kid gloves put on your kid gloves, then you learn the lesson that it's cool to be so tough. So I really don't know where these two parts of this, of the course are going, hmm. right? Handle with kid gloves and then put on your kid gloves. And then you learn the lesson that's cool to be so tough. So one person's handling the other with kid gloves and the other person is putting on the kid gloves to deal with the situation. Yeah, I guess so. Right. I guess in the first part with the bully, he says, you learn, uh, you learn the lesson that it's cool to be so tough. And then the person who's handling the situation with kid gloves, he also learns that lesson, right? Mm-hmm. That it's cool to be tough. And I guess this person isn't tough. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's continue. Yeah. A world of indifference, heads and hearts too full, careless of the consequence of constant push and pull. That would be, I think, the school situation, right? It's a world of indifference, heads and hearts too full and they're careless of the consequence of the constant push and pull, right? It's a world of indifference. I don't know about you, but uh, when someone would act up in class and, and be a jerk to other people, the teachers never did anything. Right. Right. Boys will be boys mm-hmm. kind of attitude. Could, I could be like, I'm, I'm really not set at all about my interpretation of this song in any way. Yeah. Anger got bare knuckles, anger play the fool, anger wear a crown of thorns, reverse the golden rule. My interpretation of the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's right. Biblical quote, correct? Yeah. Well, so is crown of thorns. Right. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Right. Anger wear a crown of thorns. So that sounds like a punishment, right? Anger is its own punishment. Mm Mm-hmm. Which uh, immediately reminds me of something that um, I read in some Zen philosophy book, probably attributed to, you know, the Buddha. And this is a paraphrase. It's, uh, you won't be punished for your anger. You'll be punished by your anger. Hmm. Like anger itself is its own punishment. Interesting. That's what I get from that line. Anger wear a crown of thorns, reverse the golden rule. Now, I think the next line is the key line here. Then you learn the lesson that it's tough to be so cool. Right. Which is the reverse of it's cool to be so tough. Right. So if you are a bully at the top of the pile, Mm -hmm. it's tough to maintain your position. Right. It's tough to be so cool all the time. Because you yourself are a living, breathing, feeling person. Could it be that this song is saying that you need to make mistakes in life before you learn the right things to do? Yeah. It's, yeah. And just using the bu- the bully analogy is just a way of conveying that. Yeah. I mean, I get, maybe there's two mistakes, right? The mistake is being the bully. And then there's the mistake of treating the bully with kid gloves. Hmm. Perhaps. Maybe, maybe. Because the last part of it is handle with kid gloves, handle with kid gloves. Then you learn the weapons and the ways of hard knock school. And that means? I have no idea. (laughs) Although, you know what that reminds me of? There was a, there was a Simpsons episode where Homer (laughs) goes back to college and um, they're watching some movie, like one of those teenage movies from the eighties. 
and it was called the School of Hard Knockers. <laughs> <laughs> it always reminded me of that whenever I heard it. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Um, so yeah, I really and I think I think the song is about being a bully and about how it's tough to be so cool, but also how it's hard to be someone treating the bully with kid gloves. Cause that's not the way you're going to get a bully to change. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I seem to remember us coming to a better conclusion in the car 18 months ago. <laughs> yeah, I do. I really do. I don't remember what we said, but we said something brilliant enough that we said, this is the podcast. This is the way we should do it. That's right. Or maybe we didn't and we still thought it would be the podcast it's maybe you know what it is this this interpretation of this song is is like that um tenacious d song tribute right i don't know that song you don't know the song where no. he's he, he's singing about the greatest song in the world that had ever been written and at the end he says but that is not this song this is a tribute <laughs> <laughs> he forgot the, he forgot all the lyrics of the greatest song oh, ever written man jack black is great he is Oh, and the thing I wanted to point out about this song, there are two points where this song just kicks into another gear. And I always talk about those moments in Rush songs that are just awesome. Right before Getty says, call it blind frustration, it just kicks into a different gear and it's just a great little moment there. And anger got bare knuckles. Anger play the fool. Yeah, that part. Yeah, it's just, just awesome. Yeah, but then the drums at the beginning of the, of the solo at the beginning of the solo. Oh yeah. Love that. The solo section is fantastic. I mean, all three of them kicking ass right. like they do so often. Every other time. Yeah. Yeah. Every other time. Exactly. But another song that really moves and we talked about the enemy within really moving. I mean, this album has a lot of songs that don't move that quickly. That's and these true. two do. Right. It breaks up the other songs real nicely. I think. Yeah. And right before the solo, you know, it's just like really Neil with the, with the bass drum. That's awesome mm-hmm. too. That's like a real clap along moment, you know? Yeah, absolutely. This is a great one. So anything else on kid gloves, Jar? before we move on? No. Let's move on then. Red lenses. I see red. So what jumps out at me immediately with this song, Jerry, I think, and I could be wrong, this is the only Rush song that begins with Getty's vocals isolated. Am I incorrect there? No music, right? Yeah, he just says, I see red. Hmm. I'm going to agree with you. I'm sure we'll be corrected if we're wrong. We will be. Right. But I love the way it just starts out with, with Getty's vocal isolated there. Right. I agree. But the big question, Steve, is what is this song about? Here's a quote from Neil. This was probably the hardest song I ever worked on, in spite of the pleasure it gave me. It went through so many rewrites and changed its title so many times. Each little image was juggled around, and I just fought for the right words to put in each little phrase and make it sound exactly right to me, so that it sounded a little bit nonsensical. I wanted to get that kind of jabberwocky word game thing (laughs) happening with it. And also there are little things going on that your mind sort of catches without identifying, like a lot of poetic devices. You take the number of words that sound the same or start with the same letter or whatever. You just certainly don't start in the middle of it and go, oh, that's alliteration. That is from uh, the book Merely Players. Hmm. Well, I'm glad he said that because that makes me feel better about not really knowing what this song is about. If it was more of an exercise, like he said, in in Jabberwocky, you know, in... uh, John Lennon like mm-hmm. lyrics that kind of, you know, goo goo boo or whatever that don't mm-hmm. mean anything. I feel better now. So let's talk about 
Well, before we talk about it, let's yeah. talk about the predominance of the word red yes. in this album. So we've got Red Sector A, right? Yep. We've got Red Alert, Red Alert from Distant Early Warning, right? Mm-hmm. And we've got this song, which is a lot about red. What do you think the yeah. significance of the color red is in Grace Under Pressure? I always assumed it was uh, just a reference to the Cold War. The Reds? Yeah, the Reds, the Russians were the Reds. Mm-hmm. And he references that in this song. And red lenses, you know, is kind of like um, if you see the world through rose-colored glasses, right? Right. It's a little, red's a little deeper than that. It's not, it's not as, you know, rose-colored glasses are, would be less red than, I guess, just pure red. Well, I was going to say, is this song an uh, ironic twist on that phrase, seeing the world through rose-colored glasses? Because seeing the world through red lenses is quite different than seeing the world through rose-colored glasses, right? Right. Yeah. If you're, I guess, if rose-colored glasses, it means that you're seeing everything in a in a in a beautiful light, in a positive light. And I guess if red is supposed to, you know, reference uh, the Cold War in any way, then you're seeing seeing the world through those lenses, which might not be as as positive. Right. So I read that this song was inspired by stories Neil read in the Toronto Globe and Mail, okay. which was a newspaper uh, of the day. I don't know whether it still exists now. This song, In Between the Wheels, he wrote after reading the newspaper and seeing the headlines, the headlines that hurt his head. Oh, yeah. Must be something that I read, right? Yeah. I see red and it hurts my head. Must be something that I read. In the newspaper. Right. And a lot of the, the references he makes in the song, you can connect the color red to. I mean, basically, that's what the lyrics are saying. It's the color of your heartbeat, rising summer sun, the battle lost or won, blood, right? Right. The flash to fashion, the pulse to passion feels red inside my head. And here's my favorite line. And the truth is often bitter left unsaid. Which, you know, I think the quote would be, the truth is often better left unsaid he changes it to bitter left unsaid and the interesting thing is i'm looking at the lyrics on on rush.com and i don't know whether the lyrics are like this in the album but certain lyrics are written in red and some are not did you notice that really which ones i didn't i didn't go there no well the first verse i see red it hurts my head guess it must be something that i read that's all in red print okay and then the next part the color of your heartbeat up to pulse to passion, is it gray? Mm. And then it goes back to red again, which I thought was interesting. It is interesting. Hmm. But other references to red, we've got the, you know, the war, blood, the Soviets are the reds, talks about Mars on the horizon, Mars is red. Right. A lot of red here. A lot of red. Yeah, and, and after the truth is often bitter left unsaid, said red, red, thinking about the overhead, the underfed. So these are things he's, He's reading about in, in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Could we talk about something else instead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is still true today. Can we talk about something else? We were talking yeah. about things before the podcast that I wouldn't want to bring up on the podcast. Yeah. But it's like, can we just stop talking about all of these terrible things that are right. happening in the world? Yeah. The next part is, is different from the rest of the song, right? The drums are going a little kooky. Mm-hmm. We've got Mars on the horizon, says the National Midnight Star. It's true. Now, the National Midnight Star, I don't know if you, if you picked up on this, is something from SCTV. Oh, I didn't. It was like a, like a newspaper or a TV show that they, that they had where they would just do funny stories. And oh, okay. S- sometimes people would say, it's true. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, it's true. So that, that, that's what that's a reference to. And then what you believe is what you are. That I love that one because it reminds me of another quote from Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, okay. He said, we are who we pretend to be, so be careful who you pretend to be. That's what this is saying, I guess, right? Yeah. What you believe you are is what you are. Right. Huh. That's, yeah, that's scary, right? Yeah. Depending on, depending on how you're presenting yourself to the world, right? Yeah. That's who you really are. That is scary. But then it's a pair of dancing shoes. The Soviets are the blues, the reds. <laughs> so I'm, 
you know, it just if it's like like Neil said, he's kind of more like an exercise, mm-hmm. jabberwocky exercise. Maybe it's not supposed to mean anything. Soviets saw the blues, the reds under your bed, lying in the darkness, dead ahead. Yeah, he's know. just he's just putting words together and making them rhyme, and it sounds great. What do you think of the music? It's got kind of um, is it reggae-ish, rappy sort of feel to it. I don't know. In certain parts, you know, the drums seem to be a little off kilter with the rest of the song, with the keyboards and everything. Not that that's bad. It's just it makes it kind of unbalanced, and maybe that's the that that's what they're going for. You know, is that when you have all of these crazy ideas in your head, you're not feeling so good <laughs> if you're just reading the newspaper and seeing all these terrible things. Two things that jump out at me: Alex's guitar is very Andy Summers like. Yeah, I can see that. Sure. Got a little police vibe going. And I really like the middle section where, I don't know if it's a marimba sort of drums he's doing, the middle section. You familiar with what I'm talking about? I do. Should play play a little bit of it right here. Very unrush-like, which I like. Yeah, I like it when they try different stuff. And then we get to the end, where it's really like a little bass solo, right? Yeah. And the mercury is rising. Barometer starts to fall. You know, it gets to us all. The pain that is learning, and the rain that is burning, feel red. But I think the pain that is learning. Right. That's a great line. It is a great line. When you, he's reading the newspaper. He's he's learning about all of these terrible things that are happening in the world and it's painful mm-hmm. right and then the rain that is burning that must be another reference to acid rain acid rain yeah he he brings that up a lot and i'm i remember reading him saying that acid rain was something he was concerned about at this time which is why he he brought it up a lot Yeah, you know, he he loved the natural world right he loved being outside yeah. and going to different countries and and just admiring the scenery Mm-hmm. all of that would go away with acid rain. Yep. You see black and white. Now is black and white the newspaper? Yeah, I would, I would think so. I see red. So you all see right. black and white, but I see red. He sees all the horrible things. Right. And then that's right. Yeah. You see black and white. I see red. You're right. Mm-hmm. You just see the newspaper as a two-dimensional kind of representation in black and white. I see death destruction and all the terrible <laughs> things that are happening in the world right exactly exactly and i love how getty is just like not blue at the end <laughs> oh yeah it's great the the baseline at the end is awesome yeah and the I, drums too is, is fading out and i hate to admit it i like the fade on this one too i really do oh, oh yeah i know i'm coming know around to the see. fade like you're coming around to countdown jer i'm coming around <laughs> to the fade outs i'm digging them it's true it's true it's true, says the National Midnight Star. Anything else on Red Lenses, Jer? Uh, no, it is a fun song, right? Yeah. I just love Rush songs that are not typical Rush songs. This isn't a typical yeah. Rush song, and I think it stands out because it's not. Maybe uh, we talked about briefly in the last podcast in episode two about why this might be considered like the lost album. And maybe it's because a lot of these songs aren't what's considered typical Rush songs. That could be it. I think we've hit on it. Wow. Look at that. Only took us three episodes to figure that out. (laughs) And another Rush song that's not a typical Rush song. It's a favorite of many fans. Yep. Between the Wheels.
right, Jar. I've got two quotes on Between the Wheels. The first is from Neil. This is from another Jim Ladd interview. I think Jim Ladd had Neil on right around Grace Under Pressure time. The idea of Between the Wheels was really kind of the opposite of Digital Man, where life goes faster than a person does. They're in the backwater, watching the action go by and watching the time go by. Another way to look at it is the wheels of time pick up some people and carry them forward. Other people, without being too melodramatic about it, are crushed by these wheels. But in the middle, there are people who are untouched by the wheels. And that's what I was getting at. The fact that these people are neither hurt nor helped by them. They're in a very sedentary position. How about that? That is a great explanation. Yeah, that's it. Podcast over. <laughs> Podcast over. Mic drop. <laughs> the, uh, the other uh, quote I have is from Getty, and this is from um, an interview that was done in 2004. And does he just say what Neil said? No, he just said he did some listening to Between the Wheels and other pieces on Grace Under Pressure a couple of months ago. And this was back in 2004. Okay. And I just love them. They're really dense. Peter Henderson, who worked on the album, was a very good engineer. I do think he did a great job recording the album. And I agree. Yeah. I think the album sounds great. Oh. I think the album sounds better than Signals. Oh. Clarity-wise. By far. By yeah. far. We didn't talk about this when we talked about Signals, but something about Signals just doesn't sound great to me. Right. It's a little bit muddy. It just doesn't, doesn't have that crispness to it like this album does. Yeah, this, this album has a metallic edge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not metal, like heavy metal, but just like a clean, sharp edge. Mm -hmm. And I think the remaster of Signals was a lot better. Mm -hmm. I think overall, I mean, the Signals album is fantastic. Just the sound quality of, this, of the album itself. Yeah. This one's better, I think. Yeah, I agree. So, so that changes my, uh, Neil. <laughs> what Neil said kind of changes my perception of this song. Okay. Because I always just thought it was between the wheels, um, kind of, kind of like under the wheels, right? You know what I mean? Not in between two. I'm thinking two wheels now, right? Right. In between two wheels, and those are the people who are neither propelled or hurt by things. I always thought between the wheels was just you know being crushed underneath them. Right. I I interpreted it as life's going by so fast that you're just getting crushed. Yeah, you're just getting rolled over by the wheels. And you just can't keep up. Right. You know how that rabbit feels. Right. Right? Under the spinning yep. wheels. All right. So that that was my interpretation of it. I mean, clearly I was wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, let's let's try to break this down okay. with Neil's words in, in mind. Okay, let's do it. So to live between a rock and a hard place in between time, cruising in prime time, soaking up the cathode rays which I'm assuming is a reference to television. Right, right. So what does that mean? Between, <laughs> so if a rock and a hard place are too, if you're in between a rock and a hard place, that means you can't go either way, right? It's two difficult decisions or mm -hmm. two bad outcomes or whatever. But you're cruising in prime time, soaking up the cathode rays. Is that why time is leaving you behind because you're just sitting on the couch watching TV. That's that's what I interpret that as. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're watching TV and life's just blowing by while you're, you're hanging out watching breaking bad. Right. Like I did. Like I did. That's a good show though. <laughs> I know. It's great to live between the wars in our time, living in real time, holding the good time, holding on to yesterday's. Now that's a good rock and a hard place, right? Living between the wars in our time. Yeah. It's interesting, right? It is. And what do you think he means holding on, holding the good time, holding on to yesterday's? I'm not sure. I guess just, just hanging on to the, your great memories and not trying to make new ones maybe. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if like between a rock and a hard place, now you're in between wars, right? One that's passed and one that will inevitably come. Mm-hmm. I guess you you could be a little complacent. Yeah, I was gonna, not. Uh, yeah, I was going to say complacent, but it's, it's sort of like living in your memories, trying to only remember the good times because the future may not be so good because there's another war coming. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We might be getting a little too deep into this song, <laughs> based on what Neil said. Neil really got in my head now, and now I'm trying to to parse the whole thing by what he said. But here's where the song, for me, kicks in. Right. 
Oh yeah. And I love musically that it kicks in here and it just cooks. It's just great. It does. You know how that rabbit feels going under your spinning wheels, bright images flashing by like windshields towards a fly, (sighs) which is just a great line. Yeah. Frozen in that fatal climb, but the wheels of time just pass you by. Yeah. And what's the fatal climb? The climb through life, I guess, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's my interpretation of it. It's almost like you're frozen and time is just blowing by you. You're trying to get by, you're trying to do things and time's going faster than, than you can move. You know, you can't keep up. And do you think that's because this person knows how the rabbit feels to go under the speeding wheels? This person knows about heartache and pain and frustration. So is trying to live their life free of that. So they just let life pass them by. No, no, no. I think, I think it means that you're trying not to let life pass you by, but. Oh, so you're kind of like running in place. Yeah. But you're running in place. You're frozen in the fatal climb. You're you're trying to, to do things, but life's just going faster than, than you can move. Yeah. It's like you're frozen. Right. That's the way I interpret it. Yeah. Now we get to the chorus, Jared. Go ahead. Wheels can take you around. Wheels can cut you down, which is a great uh, classic Neil, mm-hmm. right? They can do two things. Not everything is, uh, is black and white. You know what I mean? It's, it does things that can help can also hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Wheels can take you to anywhere in the world, but they can also just cut you straight down. Right. Uh, we can go from boom to bust, from dreams to a bowl of dust. We can fall from rockets, red glare down to brother. Can you spare another war, another wasteland and another lost generation? Wow. This, this song is heavy, man. It this is, song it is, is heavy. heavy. Yeah. And he's talking about uh, things like the depression, right? Mm-hmm. We can go from boom to bust, which is the, the depression, 1929 or whatever, right? From dreams to a bowl of dust. That's got to be a reference to the Dust Bowl mm-hmm. days in the 30s, mid-30s. Right. In like the prairies of, I think, Canada and United States, where poor farming practices led to the ground turning to dust, basically, and getting picked up by the, by the wind and causing these terrible windstorms that would choke out other crops. And there's a great Ken Burns documentary on the dust bowl too. Oh, really? Oh, it's fantastic. You got to see it. Oh boy. Well, it's, I don't know if it's fan. It's fantastic, but it's also depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. And then we can fall from rockets, red glare, which I'm assuming again, must be a reference to America's standing in the world. Right. Right. Down to brother. Can you spare brother? Can you spare a dime? Right. Spare a dime. It's a song from the depression. Brother, yep. Can you spare a dime? Mm-hmm. But instead of brother, can you spare a dime it's brother can you spare another war because that's basically what got at least america out of the depression it's going to war can you spare another war another wasteland and another lost generation and then it's uh, (laughs) but it's great but it's great another one of these songs that the music just fits the lyrics so perfectly it does it does and at this time in 1984, that was what people were fearing. Yeah. Another war. Another big war. Neil was speaking for the people of that, genera- of that generation, fearing another lost generation. Yeah. And even the, I mean, like you said, at the beginning, the keyboards, right? The way they come in at the beginning, but the way they come in after that, you know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds so much darker. Yeah. Sounds so much heavier. You're hearing you're just hearing the the repeat of it from the beginning. You're mm-hmm. like, oh boy, this is going downhill fast. <laughs> but the, the contrast between the spinning wheels part and and this part, I mean, it's just yeah, just fantastic. It's just great. It is. And in the chorus, wheels can take you around, wheels can yeah. cut you down. Did you notice the symbols in that part? No. Neil is going crazy on the symbols. I mean, wailing on them. It's it's fantastic. I'll throw a piece of it in right here. Just amazing. Just amazing. Never a, a missed opportunity. No. With Rush. No. 
So let's finish up the lyrics before we, we wrap this up. It slips between your hands like water, this living in real time. A dizzying lifetime reeling by on celluloid. Yeah. Now that image to me is is so perfect. Right. I mean, we've all seen, and I'm pretty sure that during the show when they played this live, they showed like somebody's life flashing by on celluloid up on the screen. You've seen those images in documentaries, movies, yeah. of somebody's entire life flashing by. Yep on celluloid and that's what it feels like. I mean, think about it, Joe, we're 50 years old past 30 years have gone by like that. They have, they have, right. They have. I was just reading today that that television show dinosaurs was on the show, was on air 20 years ago. <laughs> Did you ever watch that dumb show? No. 20 years ago. Wow. Crazy. But your dizzying lifetime is reeling by on celluloid, Jer. Do you have to remind me? This is really bringing me down, Steve. <laughs> I think I think what all the, what a lot of the songs on this record are saying, what Neil's saying to us is get out there and live life. Yeah, because before it blows by on you, right? And and it it's because of the near constant threat of nuclear war that we had in the early eighties. Right. Right. Things right. could end at any day. So get out there and live, man. Right. That's what he's saying here. You could go from boom to bust, from dreams to bowl of dust tomorrow. Yep. So while, while you can live your dreams, do it. Right. That's what Neil's saying to us here, right? Yeah. Struck between the eyes by the big time world, walking uneasy streets, hiding beneath the sheets, got to try and fill the void. That's how we end it. And that to me is you know the the real void in in your life is a feeling of being unfulfilled right right so you fill the void with all the crap that we have in our lives you know the food the, the possessions right whatever break free of all that jer this guy's a genius have you ever noticed that he is a genius and i i think he lived the way he was telling us to live yeah he really did i know he got out there and and did things that made him happy. Right. Well, all three of them did, right? The Getty dropped out of high school. Right. They, they were going to live the life that they wanted to live right from the very beginning. Right. I'm not even talking about just with Rush. Just, to, just the fact that he would get on his motorcycle and, and ride from South America up to Alaska. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. That's great. It is. He didn't just suggest, hey, do this. He went out and did it. Yeah. He walked the walk. Yeah, which I admire Neil for, really. Yeah. And do we have to talk about the, the guitar solo? It's great. What a, yeah, it's great. <laughs> we should just, can we, like I said last time, we'll just say it. It's great. What I love about it is that it flows right back into the chorus so yeah. perfectly. I know. That's the part about the solo that's just amazing to me. And it goes right into the chorus again. Right. Yeah. That wheels part. Yeah. Just, just great. And Getty's vocals, so emotional, so perfect. Yeah. And the song ends so sadly, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sinister almost. Yeah. Because at the end, it just kind of breaks down, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't fade out. It fades out, but everything in, in it just kind of breaks down. Brilliant. It is brilliant. And just fantastic. They were able to, to pull this one out. In later tours and play it again. Yeah. Which was great. Anything else on Between the Wheels, Jer, before we continue? No. I think we've covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to wrap this up. This is Grace Under Pressure, the last part of the trilogy. So we've got to, That's right. we've got to do a set list, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. So I randomly, I typed into Google, Rush set list, Grace Under Pressure. And this was the set list that came up, just randomly. Okay. The Forum in Englewood, California, May 30th, 1984. The Spirit of Radio, Subdivisions. Now we get into some new songs, Jared. The Body Electric. Ready for this? Yes. The Enemy Within, followed by The Weapon, followed by Witch Hunt. Yes. They did the Fear Trilogy on this tour. That's right. Which I would have loved to have seen. Yep. New World Man, Between the Wheels. Great live, as we just discussed. 
Red Barchetta, Distant Early Warning, followed by Red Sector A, Closer to the Heart, After Image, another song I've never seen them do live. Yep. YYZ, 2112 Part 2, The Temples of Syrinx. Yep. And Tom Sawyer ends the set list. Okay. Then they come back for an encore. Red Lenses. Wow. Did not see them do that either. Would have loved to have seen that. Followed by a drum solo. Vital Signs. Finding My Way. And In the Mood. Nice ending. That's a set list. That is a set list. Fantastic one. I I really, really wish I had gotten the chance to see Rush on this tour. Really every tour prior to (laughs) the one I I actually... You know, we, we saw from Power Windows on, every tour before that, I mean, just to be able to go back in time and, and see something like that, you know, right. obviously could never happen, but... Never know, man. Never know. Time you travel know. might be possible someday. Someday, and I'm going to mark down May 30th, 1984, <laughs> the Forum. That's where I want to go. That's where I'm sending the Flux Capacitor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Jerry, you can find us on Twitter. At Rush Fancast, Instagram, we are the Rushcast. Email us, Jerry specifically, at the Rushcast at gmail.com. Thanks, Lex, for the bass intro. Jerry, I hope you got a great quote to wrap up Grace Under Pressure. I do. Struck between the eyes by the big time world, walking on easy streets, hiding beneath the sheets. Got to try and fill the void. We sure do. Take it easy. Bye.